I am India Ari, and this is my podcast, Songversation, where I choose one of my songs and I riff on that song, simple as that. This is episode number seven, Songversation, River Rise. Thank you to all of you who requested this song as an episode. I am so thankful to have a place to share my journey to the birth of this song. It's a special one to me. I know I say that every time I do a songversation, and that is because I only do the songversation podcast on songs that are special to me. So thank you for asking. Um, this episode, Songversation River Rise, is in honor of Whitney Houston's birthday. Y'all know I love her. I know so many of us do. And as you listen to the podcast, you'll see how she interweaves into this story too, just a little bit. And also, I made a decision about episode number seven, and I decided not to put any background music in the segments. I felt like it was a distraction from the depth of the story of River Rise. I am sitting in a very quiet location in the Pacific Northwest and enjoying the sound of nothing as much as you can hear nothing, but I think y'all know what I mean. And so I wanted to let that permeate this episode. And so let me know what you think. If if you miss the music, I'll put it back. If you like it quiet, I might do it again when it's appropriate. So just let me know. We're creating this together, which is the joy of this whole thing. And before I, not before, as we get started on this songversation, River Rise, I want to play you a message that for me captures why I wanted to do River Rise as episode number seven. So I'm going to play the message now. <laughs> This question from Angela and many of the other messages I got from people here on the Anchor app and also from people on my Instagram, many of those messages inspired me to do this episode. Um, But I also want to do this episode because River Rise is a song that is about a watershed moment in my life. But before I get into that, let's listen to the song. I'm still trying to figure this app thing out, and so what I'm going to do is what I did on episode six, and that is put, um, if you have Apple Music, I'm going to connect the link here. And if you don't have Apple Music or don't have access to the song, I'm going to just play it in the speakers. So this is River Rise. There was always a power I could feel It was guidance to tell me the way to go But nowadays I feel like I can't hear that voice I've been flying blind I need you to come and be my eyes Be my eyes Carry me back River Rise 
This is Songversation, the podcast. This episode, number seven, is called Songversation, River Rise. And um, a lot to say. And so this song, River Rise, was first released on my third album, Testimony Volume 2, Love and Politics. Um, I have seven albums, Acoustic Soul. I'm laughing because I say this every episode and because this is my life's work and I worked hard for these albums. Seven albums, Acoustic Soul, Voyage to India, Testimony Volume 1, Life and Relationship, Testimony Volume 2, Love and Politics, Songversation, Songversation Medicine, and my Christmas album, India, Ari, and Joe Sample with Friends. And if you go back and listen to episode one of this podcast called Songversation Worthy, you will hear the title track from what my forthcoming, from what will be my forthcoming eighth LP called Worthy. And so back to the point, I digress a little bit. Um, Back to the point, um, River Rise was first released on my album, Testimony Volume 2, Love and Politics. It was released in 
early 2009. I can't remember the date now. I think it was March 2009. And this song carries so much emotion because I was just on the verge of a breakdown. <laughs> um, where do I begin? So my first album came out in 2001 and from 2001 to 2009, I was just moving forward um, with what, what I thought was my dream. And that was to be a professional singer and to be able to make music that people would really care about, make music that was socially conscious and to bless my family financially, but also bless my family by being um, one of the first people in our lineage to become a professional worldwide known musician. And... The reason why I'm pausing so much is because it's hard to explain to someone who hasn't had all of their dreams come true just how much having all of your dreams come true does not really fix all of your issues. <laughs> so for those of you who have read my essays, I realize now that they are not up online, but they're going to be back up online in a couple of weeks. And so if you're a reader, I'm going to make sure you know on episode eight where to find those essays. But to refer to the essays for a moment, one of the things I talk about in there is that it was one of the great pains, woundings of my life to have all of my dreams come true and discover that that doesn't fix all of my issues. Because it's almost like the way that I look at it now is almost like we need hope that some way all of our childhood and adulthood, all of our childhood issues that become our adult issues can be fixed by something, that there's a magic healing potion that will fix everything. And so why not attribute that magic potion to whatever your dream is? When I get married, I won't have these issues. When I publish my first book, I won't have these issues. When I make a million dollars, when I make some money, when I lose 60 pounds, whatever it is, then I won't have these issues. I wanted to be a professional singer. I talk about this in the first episode, Worthy, that, you know, that I was taught that I had to be something great to be worthy of just being alive, period. That my self-worth was contingent upon what I was able to accomplish. And that is, how can I say this? That is a, um, a companion energy to what I'm talking about right now, but not exactly the same thing. This right here is believing that something is going to come along and heal all of your issues. Y'all with me? And so I, of course, thought when I'm making my music and making my own money and I'll be able to travel and people will be able to see what I'm gifted at and I'll be able to buy my mother a house, give her a down payment for a house and make sure my brother has a car and I'll be able to pay all my own bills and live in my own home and, you know, basically be an adult, basically be an adult. I'll pay my own bills, live in my own home, drive my own 
car that I paid outright for and those things that I aspired to do through my music. The other thing, of course, that I aspired to do was just to um, be heard and to be respected and to be a social contribution. I, I always wanted to be those things. And that social contribution piece came from Stevie Wonder because for me, that's how I saw him. And so I didn't want to sound like Stevie Wonder, but I wanted to do what I felt he did. And that was really contribute to people's lives through music. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just flew five hours to <clears throat> the Pacific Northwest. So my throat is kind of dried out. But back to the point. Um, so by 2009, I'm releasing my fourth album. Again, Testimony Volume 2, Love and Politics. And actually, let me backtrack for a second because this album took me two years to make. So by 2007, I'd released three albums and I was working on my fourth one. Not sure if I wanted to do an album at all, honestly. And I was in the process of putting my feelings into song. And... By the time I was three albums in, I thought about retiring three times. <laughs> I thought about retiring after Acoustic Soul. I thought about it after Voyage to India. I thought about it after Testimony Volume 1 for the really first big, big time. And then between 2006 when Testimony Volume 1 was released and 2009 when Testimony Volume 2 was released, I was really living in the space of a lot of pain and a lot of disappointment. Disappointment is the better word. So back to that wounding, I just was really experiencing over and over again that there's nothing that's going to just automatically, magically heal all of my pain. Because I'd sang with Stevie Wonder and I'd sold millions of albums and I made millions of dollars and I met all of my heroes. I had some of my heroes tell me, I'm so glad you exist. I love your music so much. I love your voice so much. I had my heroes telling me these things. And I still had all the same pain. And then I had new pain because the music industry is wild. It is outwardly sexist, outwardly racist. And, you know, you think it's archaic that these things are happening in the music industry, but it's just the way it is. The music industry, everyone refers to black radio, white radio, Black artists, white artists, they try to call it urban and pop, but they still also call it black radio, white radio. And so if you want to hear more about that, you can hear me <laughs> vent about that in past episodes. I'm not going to go all into it, but you, you get the gist of where I'm going with this. So I had my childhood stuff and all my insecurities and all of that. And then I had the new, and almost it wasn't like they were new wounds, honestly. It was like these things came and triggered my childhood wounds. And so in um, episode six, Songversation, The Little Things, I talk about my experience at the Grammys. That whole thing just reminded me what it felt like to be in junior high school, where there was a cool crowd and then there was the not cool crowd. And then there was me, who was just odd <laughs> and different. And then I was odd and different on purpose, but nobody liked it, but I wasn't going to stop being odd and different. So then I had to be odd and different and fight for my right to be odd and different. And I do mean actual, literal fight. I got in a lot of fights in, in middle school and a, one in high school. And I got in one as an adult at 19 years old. <laughs> Whole nother conversation. 
Um, I am a peace-loving person, but I also defend myself. And especially back then, I had a lot of pent-up aggression. So if somebody triggered it, I would just fight. And so this Grammy thing happened. Um, again, if you want to hear that story, you go back and listen to Song Conversations, The Little Things, which is the episode right before this one. But in short, I went to the Grammys and I was locked out. I got nominated for seven Grammys, didn't win any. And that thing made me feel like high school again. Like, oh, well, what makes me think that I would be able to be the cool kid and that I really could be that successful to win as many Grammys as Lauryn Hill or something like that? Why, why would I think I deserve that? You know, and so, and so I said all that to say that my childhood stuff was triggered again by being in the music industry. So I go in the music industry seeking to be healed by seeking to be healed by success and then I'm further wounded by it. And so uh, I, back to, back to that songwriting phase between 2006 and 2009. So I went to Hawaii. Hawaii has been a place that has healed me so many times and this time I packed myself up and I went to Hawaii and I was exhausted and I was really sad and I was really like um, exhausted. And I, I mean that word in the literal sense. I was completely depleted of everything. I didn't have any energy. I didn't have any interest. I guess one could call that a depression. And so I went to Hawaii depressed and Hawaii has always healed me. Nature heals me. Just being in trees and by the ocean and driving and hearing the rain on the roof and all those things, they make me feel good. And honestly, it's almost like I source my creativity from nature. When I can be quiet and hear things that are not artificial sounds, but just hear sounds of trees and wind and birds and leaves and ocean crashing and stuff like that. Because I am obviously very aurally oriented because I'm a musician so my ears are a spiritual portal <laughs> I never said those words together I've also never said orally oriented but that is what I mean and so I went to Hawaii I went to the north shore of Kauai which is called the heart chakra of the planet it's the greenest island of the Hawaiian chain and it's the oldest island and so it's all this really old, I mean, ancient, not old, ancient, green, mountain, water, um, very serendipitous, um, um, dichotomous. There's very bright days and very dark nights. That's what I mean by dichotomy. I don't know if that's the right word, but dichotomous. <laughs> um, it's a lot of things. It's all these energies wrapped up into one. It's just a place that's very inspiring and very impressing. It impresses a lot upon you or me. And a lot of people say that. People have called it a bucket list destination. I heard Jennifer Aniston say that once, that Kauai was a bucket list destination. If you get a chance, you should go at least one in your life, one time in your life. Kauai is a little bit different now, but we'll get to that in a moment. And so I went to Kauai and I stayed for, I think it was about six weeks. I went there with 
the man in my life at the time. This trip was probably my, maybe like my sixth trip or something like that to Hawaii. This is, but this was my first time I'd ever gone with the man. And so anybody who really follows my music, this man is the person that the song He Heals Me is about. He was my, he was just, he just had become my best friend. And so we went to Hawaii together and that was big because I never wanted anybody around me when I was in my sacred space. But we really had a wonderful time there together. And then he left and I stayed because I'm wired like that. I always need some of my own space. So he stayed for about two weeks and then I stayed for two more weeks. So I was probably there for about a month. And once he left, I started writing songs. Side note, we had a very tumultuous trip because somebody invited me there. They gave me this free um, this free accommodations if I would just listen to their pitch about a TV show. And the accommodations was infested with water bugs. Not roaches, not the little roaches, but water bugs, the big ones, because there's a lot of that in Hawaii because it's very wet. But this place had too many in it and water bugs terrify me. Okay, like they don't scare me, they terrify me. So we had to move out of there. We moved to a different place and we went to another island and we did all this stuff. We went to this 12-mile hike and found out that our water bottle (laughs) had soap in it, but we had to drink it anyway because we were on a 12-mile hike, all this stuff. But then finally we got settled in this wonderful place. He stayed for a week and I was settled. He left. I stayed settled in this place on the North Shore of Kauai. And... That's when I broke out my laptop, which I carried with me. It had Pro Tools on it. And my microphone, which was too nice to be taken to the tropics, but I took it with me anyway. And I started writing songs. I want to pause right here before we get into the next segment because this is about to turn a corner. I have this, I have to tell you this. Like I said, there was a, there's a lot of serendipity and synchronicity is the word I'm looking for. There's a lot of synchronicity that happens when I'm on Hawaii or especially on Kauai. And so I want to get into these synchronistic events that gave birth to the song River Rise. So next segment. <laughs> okay, so I'm on the North Shore of Kauai which is truly a mystical place. And, or at least it was back then. And I'm there with the love of my life, the love in my life at that time. He leaves, I stay, and I settle in for two weeks. I call my friend Suzanne Koga and ask if she knows where I can find a keyboard because for some reason I thought that would be fun to write with. I don't even play keys like that. (laughs) But I I still asked her if she knew where I could get a keyboard. And Suzanne Koga is the manager for Roberta Flack. I assume most people listening to this podcast will know who Roberta Flack is. If you don't, look her up. She's She was one of the first um, singer, songwriter, musicians who made a big impact on the music industry and on the world at large, who was black. So you think about a black Carole King, that's who Roberta Flack is. That's kind of how I would describe her. She's a classically trained pianist. She sang these beautiful songs. Some of them she didn't write, but she was a very, very... um, 
studied musician, so she would cover songs her own way. So if you ever heard the song, um, The Closer I Get to You, that's Roberta Flack. So anyway, um, check out some of her music if you don't know who she is. If you, have you ever heard the song, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, that's her. So I recently got to sing that song for her at Black Girls Rock because she requested me. And the reason why she requested me, back to the point, it, part of it is because I know her through my friend Suzanne Koga. Suzanne's been managing Roberta Flack for 35 years, and Suzanne is also a native of Hawaii. So I'm on the North Shore of Kauai, which is a Hawaiian island, and I asked her where I can get a keyboard. And she said there's a wonderful songwriter there who lives on Kauai named Michael Ruff, and that Michael Ruff might have a keyboard. <laughs> I had no idea what I was in store for. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you actually what Suzanne said to me. She said, "Have you ever heard that song that goes, I love you more than you'll ever know. I love you more than you'll ever see." That <clears throat> she sang that to me, and I said, "Yeah, I know that song because it was covered by Roberta and Natalie Cole, and I think someone else. I can't remember right now." She said, so he wrote that song. And I thought, okay. So I go over to him. <clears throat> he tells me that he has a keyboard that I can use. Excuse me for clearing my throat. Again, took a six-hour flight to the West Coast today. <clears throat> so he says I have a, he has a keyboard that I can use, but that I should come meet him and see him play. Because he was playing, literally, it was... Um, a three-minute walk from the apartment I was staying in, this little townhouse I was staying in. Literally, literally a three-minute walk. But something beautiful about Kauai is that it's one of the rainiest places on earth. And so it has a rainy season and it has rainy days and it pours down. It goes down <laughs> with the rain on Kauai at certain times of year. And um, so that three-minute walk felt long because it was raining really hard. I mean, that kind of rain where your feet get wet because the rain is stacking up on the street. It was that kind of rain. And so, um, but Kauai is also very green because of the rain. Like they say, you can't have the green without the gray and the blue. Anyway, or maybe that's the Seattle thing. Anyway, which is where I am right now, by the way. So anyway, um, I walk over in this heavy rain to where he's playing in the lounge of this hotel. I'm staying in a townhouse. He's playing at a hotel. And I walk in and he's playing these melodies that were so emotional and just pretty and catchy and just good. These good melodies. He wasn't singing. He was just playing these melodies. And so he saw me and handed me the microphone and I sat I sat in a chair by the piano. He was playing a baby grand, a grand, he was playing a grand piano. And I sat in a chair by the end of the piano and just kind of like hummed along with him. I didn't know what he was playing, but I was humming along with him. And it's funny because there was this man there who was on like a honeymoon with his wife. I feel like he said they had been married 20 years and that's why they were there. And he kept saying, you know, sing something for my wife. But you have to remember that I'm in this place where I'm broke down, I'm depleted. 
I'm depleted and I'm on Kauai because I don't know what else I'm going to do with myself. And I'm thinking about leaving my career. And so one of the things I decided was that I wasn't going to do anything I didn't want to do anymore because that's what got me depleted was doing all these things that people wanted me to do. I'm going to go back to that in a second. And so this man kept offering me money. He was very pushy about wanting me to sing, sing something for his wife. And I just kept saying no. And I didn't do it, by the way. Um, and I, I, I kept running into him in the complex where my townhouse was. And he just kept saying, yeah, I was going to give you that money. And I really wanted you to sing. And in my mind, I'm thinking, do you know how much people pay me to sing? I don't need your $20. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, I digress again. So... I'm there with Michael Ruff and he's playing these melodies and I sing with him a little bit and I float back to my townhouse. Like, you know, music makes me high for real. I'm understated. I'm shy. I'm shy even. And especially when I'm out in public, I have like a public anxiety thing. I don't think I had it before I became famous, but that thing of having everybody look at me, that's not my thing. But people, you know, everybody looks at me when I walk into a room because I I look different. And then I'm in DRE, and so everybody looks at me a lot. And that makes me feel anxious. And so, but when someone, when there's music playing that I love, I don't care where I am. I don't care how many people are around. I don't care if it's on TV or off TV or at a concert or sunny out or too hot or too cold or... I don't care what it is, my, my response to music is always authentic. I cannot pretend to like something I don't like, and I cannot pretend to not love something that I love. And so I will wave my hands in the air and stand up and shout. And as a matter of fact, if you ever watch Black Girls Rock, the season where Stevie Wonder was honored, I'm sorry, BET Honors, It was the season where Stevie Wonder was honored and I was privileged to be the person to give him his award. And that year, Luke James was an artist to know. He was like new, hadn't released any music that we knew of. And it was Luke James and he started singing and I stood up in the middle of everyone on camera because his voice, I mean, we all know who Luke James is now and he has one of the best voices in contemporary R&B. If you're just speaking, you know, it's anybody's, choice about what they like but if you're just speaking technically voices that voice is crazy and he was singing and I didn't know who he was and he just had on this little suit and he started singing and I shot up out of my seat because music does that to me so I leave Michael Ruff and I float back to my townhouse and I cannot wait to talk to him and to see him again so of course I don't want a keyboard now I want to write with him (laughs) so the next day I go to his house and he had this idea. He had three ideas and one of them was River Rise. And he sang it and I remember just think, I feel like I said, don't do anything else with that. That's mine. (laughs) That happens on occasion. Like a songwriter I'm working with, they'll have a vibe, we call it. It's like a rough idea. And I'll just say, stop, let me take that home. Because I know if you let me get into my quiet space with that, I have something for that. And so I remember telling him, stop, don't do anything. Put this on a CD. Let me take this. And I took it home and came back with it written the next day. And I remember while I was writing it, it started pouring down rain again. I mean, pouring down rain, like just hard. 
tropical rain, but like rainforest, tropical rain, really hard, hard rain. And so I was singing the um, lyrics I was writing to the song and I was so, um, what's the word? I was so Hmm, what's the word I'm thinking of? I was so completely what is that word? It's not I'm thinking of a word. Not drenched, but completely mm, when something is when something is soaked to its capacity. <laughs> can't remember that word right now, but I was soaked to my capacity with emotion. And it wasn't just because of the moment. It was everything. It was the rain and the moment and the chords and the song and what I was writing, but also the reason why I was there on Kauai at all. All the whole, you know, eight years before that, everything I had been through, all the ways I'd given my power away, all the pain, all the realization that nothing takes away your pain and you have to work it out. All of that. I was drenched to my capacity with emotion and I literally cried so hard that I fell down on the ground and sobbed (laughs) oh man I'm laughing at it now because it's just the melodrama of it but it was a completely sincere emotion in that moment and so I went back to Michael Ruff's house the next day and his wife said, did you work on it? And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I have it, actually. <laughs> oh, shoot. And so I sang it to him and he said, Michael Ruff has this really wonderful sense of sarcasm. And I sang it to him and he said, that doesn't suck. Because he didn't really know who I was and anything about what I do or how I do it or anything. And he's, you know, he's a master songwriter. And so. I think he heard another person who was really good in me. And he said, well, that doesn't suck. And so we worked the whole song out. We recorded a demo. And I sent the demo home to Atlanta with another song called Beautiful to Me. And I sent the, which is yet to be released. Maybe I'll release it at some point. Again, written with Michael Ruff. Oh, that's, I forgot. I had written several songs. I forgot. I wrote eight songs in eight days. That's what happened. Um, River Rise was somewhere in the mix of writing eight songs in eight days. That's right. And so I sent several of the songs I had completed via email back home to Atlanta to my mom. And she called me and said, that song, baby. But I had sent her maybe like five songs and I didn't know which one she was talking about. And she said, River Rise is crazy. Woo, woo. You know, all that, all that, all that. She loved it. And so backtrack because there's like, there's a story on the surface and then there's one underneath where I go to Hawaii to write songs and I'm drenched to my capacity with emotion and I send it to my mom for approval, which basically is what I did. And she loves it. So that makes me feel like I'm justified in going and taking some time for myself, right? But the story that's happening underneath is that I'm writing this song that is capturing for the first time all of the pain that I felt from the understanding that 
nothing is ever going to be a magic healing potion. And all the pain that I felt from coming into the music industry and feeling so much disappointment about how it all really was outside of the pie in the sky and the stars in my eyes that I had about my artistry coming into the business, all that disappointment and the pain it caused, I finally was able to put it into a song. And so in the song, it starts, there was always a power I could feel. It was guidance to show me the way to go. But nowadays I can't hear that voice. I've been flying blind. I need you to come and be my eyes. What I'm saying is, I was always so sure about what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a professional musician. I was working towards it constantly, constantly since I was, you know, 19. And at this time, I'm probably about, how old was I at this time? I guess I was maybe 33, 32. I was probably 32 at this time. And... From 19 to 32, I had this single-minded focus and I finally found a way to express in song the disappointment at the end of the rainbow, quote unquote, of that single-minded focus on my career. So, and then I say the second verse, I was always a charmed flower child. I would sit for hours and listen to the sky, but nowadays I feel like I don't have that choice. Because I've been looking down in desperation. I need you to be my inspiration. That really is about the loss of innocence. I literally used to just think that writing songs was and being good at it was all it was about. And it was about so much more. There's so much politics involved. And, you know, just like in any other aspect of corporate America, all the politics, all the stuff. But the thing that really hurt me the most about all of it was the... Um, the usurping of my power. The people around me were just strong personalities who would tell me what to do. And even when I wanted to have a, my own voice and my own say inside of how things should be, they would shout me down or shout over me. And my mother knows, she always tells me that when I speak my truth, it's okay if I say things about her. She was one of those people. My mother has a very strong personality. And, you know, parents just want you to succeed. So they, they tell you the things that they think you need to know. And a lot of times they're right. But it's not your parents' place to tell you what to do. It's their place to, like the, like the, like the poem from the book, The Prophet says, your children are not yours. You shoot them from you like an arrow. I'm paraphrasing that. I'm so sorry if I botched it. But, you know, we don't belong to our parents. We come from our parents. And so I had this whole organization of people around me who didn't listen to what I wanted. They just told me what I was supposed to do. And one would say that it worked because it worked to their end. I ended up being multi-million selling artist. But I did it not based on my own vision for myself. Not exactly. Because I couldn't see my vision fully because it was obscured by someone else's vision for me. 
I, it was it was a blend of their vision and mine. But then, you know, when it came down to other things like travel and touring and dates and what time I fly and where I go and what I do, that was dictated to me. So I had to say in my creative process, although it wasn't, I couldn't hear it with crystal clarity, I could still hear it. But with like, you know, just the way I lived on a day-to-day basis, how my life force energy was used, it was dictated to me. And I hated it and I was tired and I was depleted (laughs) by the time I was in my early 30s. And so there's this, um, there's this part of me at the time that felt like I'm either going to go back and shout them down or I'm going to get real quiet and just shut everybody out. And so River Rise is about getting really quiet and shutting everybody out and asking to be shown. So going back to my original point, I was always a charmed flower child. I was always so sure. And then I wasn't. And I, what I knew was that I couldn't go on that way because I had a life that was moving forward. And at some point I was going to end up living someone else's life. I was maybe 32 at that time. I'm 42 now. My life at 42 would look completely different today had I continued to let them dictate and coerce me into things. And I knew that I had to take control of my destiny. I realize that sounds like a, a platitude. But literally, I knew I had to take control of my destiny. And there was this, one of the things I would always say to myself at that time was, I need the freedom. Freedom was my main word back then. I need the freedom to be able to know that if I have a dream about something and I say I had a dream and so this is the way it's going to go, that the people around me do not question it. They just say, okay. I had a dream I shouldn't do that show. Okay. I had a dream I shouldn't get on that flight. Okay. I had a dream about a song, an album that's meditation songs and it will be like repetitive lyrics that are like chants. And they would say to me, okay, not, you can't do that and you need to get on an earlier flight and you don't have time for that. And what, what? Nobody wants to hear that. You know, that sounds preachy. All this stuff that people used to say to me about my expression and my time and how I was moving. I didn't want to hear any of that. I wanted to know that my, I could build a life based on my intuition. I, like the song said, I could sit for hours and listen to the sky. My intuition started to become weak, weakened because I kept overriding it. And so kind of stopped talking to me and it got quieter and quieter. And so this song, River Rises, about a girl who was in the deepest pain she ever thought she could feel, who surrenders. She decides, I don't know. I don't have control. Whatever you tell me is the right thing, that's what I'm gonna do, God. Even if it's not music, that's what I'm gonna do. Just show me. 
Like the song says, only you can show me the way. River rise, carry me back home. Have you ever seen a flooded rushing river? You get in it and it takes you. And that's what this song is about. And so I said earlier that I was going to talk a little bit about the energy on Kauai these days. If you, so if you've been looking at the news the last two months, you know that there's volcanoes erupting on the big island of Hawaii. But what did not make the news, I'm not sure why, because I guess it's not as dramatic or whatever, I don't know. But what did not make the news was that a couple of weeks to a month before the volcano on the big island started erupting, there were historic level floods on the north shore of Kauai, where I might have these stats wrong, but this is what I remember. There were at least eight houses completely washed away down rivers. You can look online and see video of the houses being washed away down rushing rivers. And um, I think over 500 houses damaged, some of them beyond repair. There's a stretch of road that goes from an area called Princeville to an area they call the end of the road. Side note, there's a documentary called Taylor Camp where Elizabeth Taylor's brother funded this camp for hippies in the 60s. All those hippies lived in an area called Hyena. And Hyena was the end of the road. So Princeville is kind of like the Florida. It's like a neighborhood that's highly developed with a hotel and condos, but it's still immersed in the North Shore. And then there's a long stretch of road that I think is 13 miles long that ends at the end of the road. So if you want to know more about the end of the road and you're a documentary lover, look at the documentary called Taylor Camp. And so after these floods, there were multiple landslides on this road. I heard it was 13 landslides. And so from Princeville to the end of the road is closed, still closed. They said it would be closed for around a year. And so the flooding, there were rivers that were widened three to five times their width just from rain. And lots of fields, fields just flooded and houses flooded and things that I, that I was accustomed to seeing green was now just, you know, completely underwater. Lots of destruction on beaches and, you know, especially the houses on the beaches. I saw a picture of a house that was literally broken in half. It's on one of the world's most famous beaches called Hanalei Bay. There's a house there just broken in half. And so this song being called River Rise, written on Kauai about a river rising and destroying the old life and bringing in a, bringing a person to a new place. That's what the North Shore of Kauai has just been through. And so this song, River Rise, really is about being born again. It's about being asked to be allowed by spirit to be born again. <laughs> and so when Testimony Volume 2 was finally released, if you look at the picture of me on the album cover, I'm very, very tanned. This is a whole nother conversation about what color I am, tanned or not tanned. 
We're going to get into that in one of these conversation episodes. But if you look at the cover, I'm very, very tanned because I went to Hawaii during this era that we're speaking of on this conversation, River Rise. And then once I finished my album, I went back to Hawaii with my love again. And if you look in the album packaging for um, Testimony Volume 2, you'll see a picture of me on a beach with a white fabric over my head and all my hair cut off. And that was him taking that picture of me and I was back on Hawaii. And then I came back from Hawaii and did the photo shoot. So I was very tan. And interestingly enough, I said, I surrender in the song. I surrender today. And the album came out early 2009. I think it was around March. And I had the worst career year ever that year. I went into it realizing that it wasn't feeling right. So, for example, we had a show in Boston, and I get out of the car, you know, at the hotel in Boston, and I just feel nauseous. And I run to the bathroom just in time to throw up in the sink. Like, I don't throw up. That's not a thing I do. <laughs> like, you know, it's not a thing I do. I can count on one hand the times I've thrown up in my life. So I'm on tour, and I throw up. And then we have a show in New York. We were in New York. And... I'm on stage just trying to get my bass player's attention and my finger pops out of socket. Like, not, it didn't pop out of socket. It was like a, a ligament in my finger that loosed itself and slid back out of place and back into place. And it was so sore. So then I ended up in the hospital getting my hand x-rayed in D.C., in the next city, and just kept going like that. I lost my voice. I had to get a steroid shot in Seattle just kept going like that. And then the summertime comes and there's really no tour set up. So I got coerced again into doing this tour that I didn't want to do. And I decided that I was going to do that tour because I needed my album to be promoted. But I was also going to do it for my band and my crew because everybody expected to be working. But I was also going to do it because it was time for me to open my eyes and to really see everything. And so I went into that touring year with my eyes completely open and I saw everything that I needed to see. And most of all, I saw that I needed to change. And of course, the personnel around me needed to change too. And so by the fall of 2009, literally, I arrived in the Pacific Northwest October 31st on Halloween. And I went to one of the islands off the coast of Seattle. And I remember just walking down the middle of the street in the middle of like this Halloween celebration. On this island, there was a very small downtown area and everybody went down there with their kids and the family and people had on costumes and pumpkin carving contests and all this stuff. And I just walked down the middle of the street and it was a full moon. I had on my new Rick Owens leather jacket (laughs) and some high heel boots and black jeans and a turtleneck. And just walked down the middle of the street, looking at the full moon with my hands in my pockets and thinking about what my new life was going to look like. So I went from 2006 to 2009 working on the music for Testimony Volume 2 and writing River Rise. 
to releasing it early 2009 and touring with it all of 2009. And by the fall of 2009, that destructive nature of a rushing river was what my life was just like. I, anyone who's heard my um, Super Soul Sunday interviews with Oprah, you heard me say that somewhere in that era, I read the words, at any time you can say stop. I still don't know where the words were. It's a book I was looking at, something I was holding dear. I don't remember. But it said that. And I decided before the tour was even over that when the tour was over, I was going to stop. I just needed to see what was happening. And I saw. And I saw myself. And I saw the people around me. And so the fall of 2009 was the end of my old life and the beginning of a new one. And the new life I live is a life that is based on my intuition and my instincts, where I'm empowered to make choices that are in alignment with my truth, that I can tell people yes and no, that I'm the highest authority in my life and in my business, that I live a life where I don't work with anyone who I don't like. Um, the people around me, I, I, I like them and I love many of them and I trust them. I live a life where I'm able to be free, <laughs> free. I'm able to be free and free. Like I said, that was my word back then. Cause I just felt, I always had a very strong sense of self and a strong likes and dislikes and a very strong way of expressing those likes and dislikes. People would call me blunt all the time. I didn't mean to be blunt. I was just in my mind, being honest. Like if you ask me a question, I'm going to answer it and I'm going to just answer it plain. And I was like that. I was very strong, strong willed. I had like a lot, plenty black girl swag. Like I was like that, always like that. And then I got into this career thing and I had people like diminishing me. And I had to take my power back and, and I have it back. (laughs) much deeper conversation. Um, (laughs) That's so funny. I just did that thing. Y'all know that thing. Anyway, I'm sorry. I had no idea. I just did that on my podcast. Anyway, much deeper conversation about the life that I then went on to build after 2009 when I really started being free. And so when I got to the Pacific Northwest in 2009, I had decided that I retire basically like, you know, if it's going to be like this, I quit. And I was calling different people who I felt were accomplished, but who liked their careers and asking them like, do you really like your career? Do you really like your life? Is there a part of your career that you don't like, but you're okay doing it anyway? Is there a part of your career that you don't like and you do it even though you're not okay with it? Like you really hate it and asking all these questions. Because I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, but quitting was just the natural next step. And so I did for a few months. (laughs) And then I started opening myself up to different musical expressions because that was the thing that bothered me the most. I wasn't able to grow as an artist because the people around me kept telling me I had to keep duplicating myself, which is impossible. But having to fight through those voices and try to create at the same time affected what it was that I created. And so that's why I said earlier that I still had my artistic voice, but it was colored by other people. And so I went ahead and just did exactly what I felt in my heart. And that's what I ended up doing 
the album with the Middle Eastern musician that you've heard me refer to. If you have not heard any of these other episodes of this podcast, it's the album I did called Open Door with the musician from the Middle East. We got all the way to the end of the album and just could not come to terms on the business. So I ended up shelving the album. Um, But if anybody who really wants to hear some of the songs, they're out there. They just were never promoted. So if you look online, you can see some open door songs. And I did that for three years, actually. And then that crashed and burned. And I slept over the weekend and I got up and did Songversation in seven months. I talk about that on a previous episode of this podcast, so I'm not going to, again, go all into it. Um, but with the album Songversation, that album was born from a person who was free and who was empowered and who was making choices based on her instincts, her intuition. And so when you hear the album Songversation, you hear all these Middle Eastern sounds Those are not keyboard samples. They're live Middle Eastern players because my instincts told me to call my friend Cezanne Aksu, who was Turkey's biggest star. And as soon as I called her, she asked me to come to Turkey and I went again, talked about this before, but none of that would have been shaped that way were I not empowered. And so River Rise was about that era that made me call forth my freedom. And my freedom is as big as my disempowerment was. And it's funny. I feel like back then I would say, you know, when I'm 40, 10 years from now, I'm going to be 43 and I do not want to look up and be blaming anyone for me not living the life that I want to live. And now I'm 42. So I'm about, I'm about, right where I said I wanted to be. I love the life I live. I want other things, but we all want other things. That's what calls us forward in life. But I love the life I live. And not only did I do songversation, but I also did songversation medicine, which is purely a prayer and meditation CD. And the person I was before that river rose, (laughs) funny I never said that like that, but the person that I was before that river came and just destructed my old life, that person I was would have been talked out of making Songversation Medicine by people who felt it wouldn't sell enough and that it's not something I should do. And Songversation Medicine didn't sell a lot, but that doesn't mean it won't. And it doesn't mean it's not a part of my life's work that's important. And it doesn't mean that I don't meet people every day who say, I've been going through this thing and that album Songversation Medicine got me through. I meet somebody every day because it's not about their agenda. It's about mine and my agenda is to spread love, healing, peace, and joy through the power of words and music, to make a social contribution through my music, and to heal myself and others through the music that I make. And I want to make money doing it. I want to make a lot of money doing it. I want to have a lot of regard and respect for my art and my craft. And I'm still working towards all of that, but life is a journey. (laughs) Not a destination, there are no mistakes, <laughs> just chances we've taken. Lay down your regrets, because all we have is now. <laughs> ah, that's so funny. Uh, anybody who's listening and does not know, that's a song I wrote <laughs> with Robin Roberts for a Good Morning America segment where the... <laughs> 
where the hosts were giving a career aptitude test and she came up that her aptitude was for song lyricist. And because she loved my song, I Am Not My Hair, after her cancer journey, she asked that I be the person who come and do the segment with her. And so we wrote that together on air. And then my mother wrote the other part, my mother and another songwriter. So my mother, Robin Roberts and another songwriter, I can't remember his name right now, but we all put that song together, together. And just another side note, so much that I'm remembering, I told you that I came back from Hawaii on my second trip after completing Testimony Volume 2 that I went back and um, came back very tanned and did the album cover photo shoot. I came back because I had a deadline for recording that song. The song's called Beautiful Day. And I had a deadline for recording it so that they could put it in as the theme song for Good Morning America. And so... Um, I came back from Hawaii and went straight to the studio and recorded the vocal for Beautiful Day. It's so funny, because speaking of like that unempowered place, I remember getting to the studio and my mom was there and another person that I worked with. And they both looked at me up and down and said, wow, you look good. Like Almost like um, to just have gotten back from Hawaii yesterday, you look you know, put together. You don't look too tired. But the person I am today, if I had somebody look me up and down and assess me like that, I would would have a lot to say. (laughs) Back then, I just said, thank you. But inside, I was like, I can't stand them. But anyway, lay down your regrets because all we have is now. And I'm grateful that I live a life where I can honor my intuition, and honor my truth and know that right or wrong, that my life is shaped by my choices, freedom. (laughs) And so thank you for being on the other end of Songversation River Rise. Thank you to everyone who asked me to do um, a podcast episode on this song because you can hear, by the way, I'm talking about it. This song is really special to me. It really was a prayer that I prayed that was answered, and I didn't realize that until I just did this podcast today. I said, River Rise, carry me back home. I cannot remember the way. And nine months after that song was released to the world, my life was completely different. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just realizing all of this for the first time. And it's beautiful. It's been a beautiful journey, but I can only see that in hindsight now. There's this wonderful quote from Jim Carrey. Like we all know him as a comedian, but those of us who are really in the spiritual community, we know him as a wise man. He says some of the most, he's on, he's on a spiritual journey, one that he's very committed to. And one of the things he read was where he, one of a quote that I read of his is he said, I think Everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Because the real answer is, for me, so that was Jim Carrey's quote. (laughs) I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer, Jim Carrey. For me, what I have learned is the answer is being in alignment with my truth because that truth is there for a reason. And in my opinion, that reason is why I was born. My soul calls me to things. And if anything blocks me from it, 
then I'm not in alignment with my destiny. And should that be the way I live, that will only be because I choose it, not because someone knocks me off my destiny ever. But I'm not choosing it. I choose to be in alignment and I work at it every day. And so <laughs> to everyone listening who's joined in this conversation, River Rise, I, and for myself, I say this closing affirmation. <laughs> May we all be in alignment with our truth that we can be citizens of the world walking through this world in alignment because people who are in alignment are the most powerful. May we know that the same way that sometimes Mother Nature will have her rivers flood and bring destruction to the land and to the people around her, that death and rebirth are a part of life. So all those ways that we die to our old selves, may we be reborn to our new selves. And may we die to ourselves and be reborn as many times as our life will allow. And may we all know that we are worthy of our freedom. May we all remember that our healing is in our hands. Your wounding, what is that? There's a wonderful quote. The wound isn't your fault, but the healing is your responsibility. May we all know that and know that we have everything that we need to heal ourselves. All we have to do is focus, focus, focus on it. So whether it's your songwriting or your dancing or your intellectual pursuits or your reading or your hiking or your walking or your whatever it is, your craft, your science, whatever it is, the same way that River Rise truly was a prayer that was answered, May the prayers in your endeavors be answered. May you have a prayer in your endeavor. Hey. I love y'all. I kind of snuck it in there a couple times. I'm in the Pacific Northwest. I'm in Seattle. I'm here for a small community show with a woman named Dr. Maxine Mims, who was Dr. Maya Angelou's best friend. I met her at Dr. Angelo's funeral. She said, I'm Dr. Maxine Mims. I'm from Seattle, Washington. And I walked up to her when she got off the stage and said, I live in Seattle, which at the time I did. And we've become friends. And she asked me to come do her show. So I'm here for that. And um, <laughs> there's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. And I'm celebrating that I make choices that no one questions that I make choices that are in alignment with my truth and the people around me support me and don't question. <laughs> oh. Lastly, I want to say in the episode before this one, episode six, which was called Songversation, The Little Things, 
I talk a little bit about Whitney Houston. And maybe about three weeks after the release of that episode, I ended up seeing, maybe two weeks, I ended up seeing the Whitney Houston documentary called Whitney, the full feature-length documentary in the movie theater called Whitney. I think most of you guys know about it. If you don't, Google it. It's in the, it I went to... I went to see it twice. I went one night and went back the next night <laughs> in a row because I, there was so much that I wanted to take in. And the, there are a lot of things about that story that are impactful, especially I think for a woman who's in the music industry, but for people, period, a lot of it is impactful. But the most impactful part of that documentary for me was seeing her sitting on the couch in the dressing room, exhausted, and explaining to her mother how much the in music industry was hurting her. I'm not going to give away what she said. I'll let you look at that, you know, when you see it. But she just kept saying, I don't want to do this like this, basically. Those, those were almost the words verbatim. It was like, I don't want to be in an industry like this. She was saying something like that. She kept repeating it. And what I saw in that moment was a person who was being who was being forced into a shape of something that she wasn't. And it worked. She became a mega pop star. It worked. But it wasn't in alignment with her. And so I feel it didn't work for her or her soul or her wellness. I'm not saying I know why she became an addict or any of that. I don't know. The documentary speculates, but I don't know. But what I'm saying is anytime a person is put into a shape that is not in, who's forced into a shape that's not who they are. Anytime a person is like that, it's going to hurt them. And it's almost like the more pressure you have on you to be this thing that you're not, the more it hurts you. And I remember my mother telling me in the very beginning of my career that I didn't have to be a tragic story. And I really took that to heart. She said it one time. My mother repeats herself a lot because she talks a lot. But she said that to me one time and I took it to heart because, because I didn't have to be a tragic story. And River Rise for me was a prayer to not be a tragic story. We see women, it's really a paradigm in the music industry to see women from every decade, breaking down, breaking down publicly, disappearing from the public eye, coming back with these stories about, you know, depressions and suicide attempts and, and substance abuse issues and all this stuff. And a lot of that is because the sensitivity that it takes to be an artist is so overwhelmed by the life of that it takes to be an entertainer. And so River Rise was my prayer that I didn't have to be a tragedy and I didn't have to lose myself and hurt myself. And I think I was I think I prayed that prayer and I was spared. I really do. I love my life today. And it's, I couldn't imagine at 33 sitting here I couldn't imagine at 32, sitting here at 42, 
right here, like where I am right here in this house, in this moment, at this table in Seattle with Dr. Mims doing what I do, how I got here, what time I flew here, what plane I flew on, what I wore on the plane. I couldn't imagine that I would be this person, but this is what I wanted and I got it. And that Whitney Houston documentary, you know, just showed me a person who wasn't able, I felt, who I saw wasn't able to be themselves and sacrificed themselves for success and for other people's gain. Everybody has their agenda. You need to have yours and make sure you know what it is and make choices based on your agenda. I think I just did another closing affirmation. (laughs) I'm going to end this now. This might be my longest episode. I hope that you hear yourself here that you get exactly what you're meant to get from this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Please send me messages. I have so many and I have listened to every single message. I can't use them all. I might do another Q&A episode soon, but I listen to all of them. So please leave me a message. Tell me what song conversation you want to hear next because this song conversation was born because you guys asked for River Rise. So Send me more of your thoughts. It could be one person saying a certain song that I, too, want to do a conversation about. So send me some messages. If you don't know how to use the Anchor app, leave me some messages on Instagram. It doesn't even have to be an Instagram post about the podcast. Just leave me messages about the podcast wherever you want. Send me some DMs. I don't, I don't see all my DMs because I get like 100 a day of people I don't follow. But leave me messages under my post about things that you want to say. And I will. I am listening. I said on my very first podcast that I wanted to do this because shallow interactions make me tired, but deeper interactions energize me. And so I'm loving doing this podcast and I want to hear your thoughts. So please send me the messages. And I want to say this too, to those of you who were asking, where is the next episode? I want to apologize that it took so long from episode six to seven. And I'm apologizing because I had pure intention of being more consistent. But what I've been doing is shoring up my tools. And so I'm working on getting all this even more official, if y'all know what I'm talking about. And so um, I'm working on that. Still a little bit to get together. But here in Seattle and overlooking the water and watching the sunset and everything, I decided to go ahead and do this episode. So the new stuff ain't ready just yet. But it's going to be so nice when it is. But I wanted to come and go ahead and do this episode. And if the new stuff still is taking a little bit longer than it needs to take, I'll be back with a new episode in one week. That's my word to you. Thank you for asking. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being on the other end of this conversation. Thank you for being a reason that I have to tell my stories. Thank you for all of your thoughts and your questions and your quotes and everything. Your messages. And love to all soul birds worldwide. And everyone else, I am India Ari, and (laughs) until next time, may you clearly hear the song in your heart. I like that.